The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank, the bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life, a bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify, a bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers, that is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose, Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Kia ora, I'm Bernard Hickey, but this is not... When the facts change, our friends at Kiwi Bank have been working with the Spin-Off Podcast Network on a limited series called This Is Kiwi, profiling some pretty incredible New Zealanders and hosted by the Spin-Off's Jane Yee. We thought you might like to have a listen while you wait for the next episode of When the Facts Change to drop, so we're sharing it in this feed and I'll be back on Friday, as per usual, with my regular economics yarns. In the meantime, hope you enjoy This Is Kiwi. Kia ora, I'm Jane Yee and welcome to This Is Kiwi, a podcast series brought to you by Kiwi Bank and the Spin-Off Podcast Network. In this series, I'll meet with incredible New Zealanders who've achieved remarkable things, uncovering what makes them tick and the influences that have helped to shape their ideas. Most importantly, This Is Kiwi will bring you knowledge for better, the incredible power of determination, passion and self-belief that we can all learn from and apply to our own lives every day. So join me on this unique journey as we celebrate the Kiwi spirit and learn what it takes to make a difference. This is Kiwi, where ordinary people do extraordinary things. In this episode, I have three guests in the studio. One is Dr. Alan Nelson, a military veteran, esteemed academic and Kiwi Bank Local Hero of the Year for 2023. The others are her two children, Monty and Toby. Alan is passionate about improving working conditions for parents, advocating for flexible hours and embracing the vibrant nature that children bring to our lives. And with two little ones in the studio throughout our korero, the colourful aspects of parenthood are delightfully present. But that's real life, right? And Alan's mission is to ensure parents are not penalised in the workplace simply because they have children. This is echoed in her influential campaigns Work School Hours and Belonging Autonomy Purpose which aim to change workplace cultures to be more authentic and inclusive, fostering well-being and productivity. With a decade of service in the New Zealand Army, including deployment in Afghanistan, Dr Nelson has shown remarkable determination and leadership in challenging circumstances. Her academic achievements, including an MBA and a PhD focusing on women's professional empowerment, highlight her intellectual brilliance and commitment to advancing gender equality. Her dedication to empowering others is matched only by her incredible acts of courage. In 2021, while at home with a toddler and a newborn, no less, she led a volunteer effort to evacuate over 500 Afghan refugees and their families when the Taliban took power. Her selfless efforts exemplify the profound impact one person can have on the lives of many. As you're about to hear, despite her varied accomplishments, Ellen remains incredibly relatable. 
Her vulnerability when talking about her own experiences is testament to how much of herself she brings to her work. And that openness and honesty enables us to see parts of ourselves in Ellen's story, creating an opportunity to learn from her wisdom in applicable ways. Join me, Dr. Ellen Nelson, Toby and Monty for a very special conversation on This Is Kiwi. Kia ora, Dr. Ellen Nelson. Thank you so much for joining us. And you're not alone. No. <laughs> no, I am not. <laughs> You've got an entourage. Monty and Toby are here with us in the studio today as well. Yes. <laughs> so for everyone listening, just to give you some context you're probably going to hear some background noise, and that's okay. This is life. This is being a mum, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being with us. We want to talk to you today about really what makes you who you are and what has brought you to achieve so many of the wonderful things that you have achieved. Um, And, you know, we can't ignore the fact that you are the New Zealander of the Year local hero for 2023, thanks to your work in evacuating over 500 Afghani refugees to New Zealand after the fall of Kabul to the Taliban. Now, that's that's quite a big thing. (laughs) Yeah, it was... I mean, it was a pretty big task. Um, And I always say this, I I was part of a team. So uh, Chris Parsons and Martin Dransfield, and we were supported by so many others. So this was really a big collaborative effort. Um, But yeah, it was sort of a case of someone that had worked with me when I served in Afghanistan more than a decade ago, asked for help. uh, And it just snowballed and turned into kind of almost a year uh, task. But thankfully, we finished it now. (laughs) It's honestly amazing, and I know that, you know, as New Zealanders, we tend to play down our achievements, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later as we start to talk about empowerment and how, you know, how we achieve that. Um, But I just want to, I mean, congratulations is a funny word to say, because it's not sort of like you were um, setting out to, to, you know, win an award when you you did this, was it? (laughs) You're just trying to help people that you care about. Yeah. And that's the essence of it. Um, I want to start by saying, what does empowerment mean to you? Oh, I guess, so I sometimes um, have, like the word empowerment sometimes maybe implies that someone else is giving you power. Yes. And I kind of don't love that connotation of it. But what I do like about the word empowerment, it's really about letting people have their own voice. And again, not that they should be let to have their own voice, but I, I really love it when people feel confident to be themselves, share their voice, tell their story, be themselves. And I feel like that's really empowering to, mm. to be able to do that. And I, I really believe that the more um, kind of everyone just enables people to be themselves. Yeah. And so that's about not kind of trying to contain people, not trying to, you know, make people smaller than they are or asking them to be something that they're not. Empowerment's about, yeah, being able to be yourself and and owning that and feeling great about it. And not seeing everyone as competition, right? Like lifting other people up is good for everyone. Yes. And it feels good for yourself. Oh, yeah, I love it. So I, um, in the work that I do, I meet, um, I'm very lucky, I meet lots of cool people. And I meet other people who are doing similar things to me in my business but I don't ever see us as competition. Mm. I'm like, there is heaps of work to be done out here. How can we collaborate? How yeah. can we amplify each other um, and not see each other as competitors, but other people wanting to do cool stuff in the world? You have your children here in the studio. This, I do. <laughs> I like to think, <laughs> I'd like to think that you have felt comfortable in being able to bring them here today because they are so welcome. But this is rea- the reality 
for working caregivers, particularly working mums, right? Yeah. And I know I've got three kids and I know I often feel like my children are, um, I don't see them as a burden, obviously. Mm -hmm. I find so much joy in them. They're hard work. Mm -hmm. But I worry that other people will view them that way. When I have to like leave work to pick up someone because school's called it to say that someone's sick. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm taking them to a restaurant or something like that. Yeah. This is a huge problem in society yes. globally yeah. and something that you're quite passionate about. Yeah. So, and sorry, I'm just looking around the room. I'm a bit ambitious sometimes with what I bring my kids along to and I'm I'm finding that maybe this one was a stretch. But, um, <laughs> I, I love the fact that... Um, well, not love the fact, but I, I try really hard to normalise the idea that workers and parents are the same people. Mm. So I feel like society kind of has these expectations on us that we're going to parent like we don't have a job and that we're going to work as if we don't have kids. And that was because when the construct of work was designed around 100 years ago, the assumption was that every household had a dedicated worker, which was a man, yep. and a dedicated caregiver of children, which, which was a woman. So it kind of was a case of workers and parents were two different people. But that's that's not how our society is today and it's not how it's been for a really long time. And so what I'm trying to do is how do we actually value the skills that parents bring to the workforce? Um, you know, we, get, we multitask. We're pretty yeah. good at juggling. Yeah. Um, we're pretty good at handling sort of stressful situations. <laughs> um, and I think there are actually some pretty good skills to bring to the workplace. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about how do we – how do we view this differently and stop kind of making it this societal-wide, you know, cluster of a juggle that every parent is facing trying to manage their children and manage their work? Yeah. I have a, you know, I hear what you're saying so clearly, and I have a neurodivergent child who oftentimes I think we look at uh, the ways in which they are a challenge when actually they have so much to offer. And this yeah. is exactly what you're saying about parents in the workforce, instead of concentrating on the challenges that that presents, having to juggle those things, yes, we need employers to look at the benefits. Yeah. Like even things um, like parental leave periods, um, some organisations, if people are kind of on a career track, it's almost like their career, um, the clock stops. So they go on parental leave for a period of time and as if that time counts for nothing. So mm. when they rejoin, they're then behind their peers. Um, I have other situations where, you know, and of course this is illegal, but employers sometimes still do it. They think, oh, well, if I employ someone with young children, that's going to be inconvenient because they might need days off because their kids will be sick. Well, yeah, their kids will get sick and they will need time off. But actually, someone that can bring empathy, someone who can relate with your customers who probably have children as well. Exactly, yeah. Someone who can, like no one can time manage like a busy working parent. Someone who can, you know, deal with last minute challenges and still get their stuff done prioritise a, a multitude of tasks, like that feels like some pretty great skill sets and that's what I'm trying to do is help organisations to see the value these parents can bring to the workforce mm. um, and not see it as a burden. The difficulty can be in employers saying the right things, having the right policies in place, yep. looking the part, yep. uh, but in real terms, are we seeing actual change happening so in terms of that, there's a lot of really good policies out there in organisations now, 
But some of them, you know, to be blunt, are kind of paying lip service to it. It's almost like it's a box-ticking exercise. Mm -hmm. Yes, we've got family-friendly policies, but then people that utilise them, they get penalised. And that might be kind of in covert ways. And we associate or we equate hard work with long hours. So people that, you know, stay at the office late, oh, wow, they're dedicated. Or people that, you know, get there early, gosh, they're committed. Um, As opposed to valuing efficiency and people that actually get their stuff done. And what that means is that people that are utilising family-friendly policies might be working less hours, but then they don't necessarily get considered for things like promotions. And so that's where I'm saying organisations need to do more to, like, really lean into this. Yeah. Real talk, we just had to have a little little break because Monty, Monty's two. <laughs> Monty's two. So Monty was being two, which yep. he's absolutely allowed <laughs> to, to be. Um, and we've just uh, we've just given him some some. You know, something a little, perhaps a little bit more entertaining <laughs> out of the room. <laughs> I actually um, love that this is the reality. So I, um, I've i done a few pieces of work where I've had one kid with me. Uh, so Toby is still in the room and he's been great. Um, and I've taken sort of Monty to something or Toby to something. This would probably be the first time that I've taken both of them. Ah. And uh, yeah, I've learned to listen. But I kind of, I kind of like it because... I don't want to pretend to people that, you know, I'm some super mum who always has my kids together while I'm working. Um, if uh, For the audience who can't see this, there is uh, popcorn spread all over the room. Um, and so I'm very, very grateful uh, to one of the other team uh, taking care of Monty, my two-year-old, uh, while we continue this recording. <laughs> oh, so, ab- absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and this is, you know, as we've talk- discussed, this is can be part of the problem is um, the very, it's just the very real challenge of balancing two aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? Work and children for caregivers, they're not the only two areas of your life. Yeah. But there's self, you know. <laughs> there's family. There's other responsibilities too. Yeah. So um, there's a lot to take into account when we talk about, you know, well-being, which we'll get on to. But t- talk to me about, um, about work school hours. Yeah, sure. So work school hours, it started – uh, because I could see the challenges that working parents were having, and it was kind of the life that I was living too. So it started sort of from a social point of view. I was frustrated that working parents were not having good outcomes, mm. and I wanted to do something about it. But the bit that got me really excited, because I know that businesses don't care unless there's sort of a commercial benefit to it, um, I got more and more excited when I realised that actually if organisations do more to actually value the fact that people have things that they care about outside of work, which my starting point was children, but actually everybody has stuff outside of work they care about. When organisations focus more on the outputs that they want people to deliver as opposed to how many hours did they come to work for, and when they focus more on giving people flexibility and autonomy to complete their tasks in and around their lives, my goodness, people do better work. And so what I realised is that there's opportunities for organisations to, if they get more creative around how they structure their work, they can attract and retain better talent. There's so many working parents, so many mums out there who would love to be in the workforce but are being precluded. Mm. So if organisations just get a bit more creative around the hours of work and valuing the fact that, yes, school holidays might be a little bit different, they can get amazing talent into their organisation. The other thing is you touched on wellbeing is – Working parents, we're stressed. You know, I'm I'm trying to live this, but I'm not pretending that I'm not stressed. It's it's hard. It's mm, a juggle. Mm. And so anything employers can do to kind of alleviate that juggle and that stress, that helps people to do a better job when they are at work. Um, and so they're not so stressed about, oh, gosh, who's going to pick up the kids from school? If they're sort of enabled or empowered to do that, 
when they're at work, they'll be on and they'll they'll do their best work. Yeah. Um, and then just the one other thing, which I always think is amazing, is the well, not sorry, this is not amazing. The biggest uh, barrier to the representation of women in senior leadership positions and the gender pay gap is the mum penalty. So the more that we can do to reduce that mum penalty, uh, the better it's going to be for improving the gender pay gap uh, and improving the representation of women at the senior levels, which um, is something that means a lot to me. Mm. Me too. So yep. thank you for the work that you're doing. <laughs> I don't know how you find the time, truly. Um, work school hours isn't about getting the whole world to work nine to three. No, no, no. <laughs> it's about workplaces finding flexible options to get the best out of their people, which is ultimately going to benefit the business and is best for their people as well. Yep. It's a, like it's a win-win. Absolutely. And the thing that's kind of cool is, so Andrew Barnes, who champions the four-day week, amazing work. You know, he's trialled this in so many industries across the globe, proving that we can still achieve the same outputs, which is what organisations care about, in less time, his, his theory is 20% less time, but still get the same pay. And he's proven that it can be done. And so adjusting our hours um, where possible to match the school timetable or, or just valuing the fact that people have commitments outside of work, absolutely productivity can be increased. I'm really curious to know what it was that you, you made you think, you know, I can help these people, these people who who are trying to get out of Afghanistan. Well, I've got a tiny little baby, you know, <laughs> and it's easy to look back now and say it was all worth it because you you succeeded in getting them in. But when you embarked on that journey, you didn't know that that was what was going to be the end result. And and the reason I sort of talk about complicated people, you know, people being complicated and then equate this to, to you know, your journey here is that it would have been in my opinion, so much easier to just go, I'm really busy. I've got a newborn. I've got a toddler. I know these people need help, but I'm just not the person at the moment to be able to do that. But you made yourself the person. Why? I mean, these Afghan people, I guess they reached out to a lot of New Zealanders who, who you know, quite fairly and quite rightly were not able to help. That You know, they were busy. As as was I, but I, to be really fair, I didn't kind of put my hand up and say, I'd love to get involved with this task. That's the, the truth. I didn't. Um, the task found me. Mm. And when I served in Afghanistan, as I say, it was just over a decade ago, I had 15 locals in my team alongside my five Kiwi soldiers. And they, they touched my heart. Like the most amazing part of my tour was the people. And the... The experience of working with these locals, it just, yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, it touched my heart. They were amazing people. Well, sorry, they are amazing people. And when the Taliban had taken over and basically their lives were at risk because of the fact that they had worked alongside a New Zealand government department or, you know, the Defence Force in this case. And so basically one of them reached out to me. One of the people who had been in my team said, Ellen, uh, my family and I, we've fled, um, we're hiding and you know, fear of our lives. Please, can you help? And I was, I was like, I'm breastfeeding a baby. I've got a three-year-old. I've just started, decided to start a business. Um, I have no idea how to help, but yeah, of course I will. Um, and it just, it snowballed. 
it snowballed in a way that I could never have imagined. But it just, I don't know, it just felt like the right thing to do and I just, I couldn't walk away. Mm. I, I cared about these people and, yeah, I just, I, I couldn't walk away. I'm sure they I mean, it goes without saying they'd be so grateful that you did make, because it would have been a sacrifice, you know, I know what it's like to be a mum with little, little kids. It's it's full on. And when you have your second, it's um, it's even more full on again because going from one to two is a whole, a whole different ball game, the, the chaos. And I'm honestly just really in awe of you. I really am because oh. that's um, the time you have with your kids is really special when they're little. And you, you know, I know it, it's... It, it's certainly not a criticism, but you would have had to sacrifice some of that for the good of these other people without really knowing whether or not you were going to succeed. I mean, to be fair, I had very low expectations about succeeding. Um, what I did try to do, and I, I'm not saying that I got this right, but I, what I more sacrificed was myself. Right. So I still gave a lot of energy to the kids. Of course. Um, and, and sorry, not that you were saying that I didn't, but I, like I still did spend a lot of time with the children. I just then didn't really sleep a lot. Um, I don't know. There were times, I mean, of course, you know, I wouldn't have been the best mum during this period. I was, I was pretty distracted and, and stressed, but I don't know. It was actually the funny I want to interrupt you there, Ellen, because I, I want to counter that because the role modelling that you've done for your children during that time is invaluable. So please don't say you wouldn't have been the best mum because I honestly can't think of how you could have possibly been a better mum. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that maybe when my, they're too little now, but when they're bigger, um, I hope maybe they can be proud of mum. Of course they will be. We will make them listen to this, if nothing else, <laughs> so they can see, you know. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. And you, um, you've just achieved... Just incredible things. You're making me emotional. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Please don't apologise. Um, but carry on. Sorry, I was rudely interrupting, but I just didn't. I couldn't let you go on thinking I wasn't. Oh. I wasn't the best mum. Like a, you know, as a mum myself, um, we do we do too, way too much of that. Way too much of sort of, as you say, putting yourself last in an effort to be all things to all people. Thank you for saying that. And what's um, <laughs> I find interesting is just how ingrained we are in it. Mm. So I'm an advocate for working parents. Yeah. I'm like, literally, that's my passion, my cause, my business, my life's purpose is I want to, I want to make the working world better for women and parents in a way that makes it better for everyone. That That's my core. And yet I'm still guilty of saying the same things. Yeah. I would tell, I would never tell another mum that, you know, she hadn't been the best mum. <laughs> Yet I am still um, not always great at drinking my own medicine. Mm. Um, I think all of us do that. We are really kind to other people. And sometimes we treat ourselves with a lot less kindness than what we'd show others. So I guess thank you for calling me on that. <laughs> because um, even though I'm passionately advocating this, I yeah don't always get that right either. And there is something I think about becoming a mum that really does that to you. There's so much external noise that comes in. And it is a vulnerable time in your life when you first become a mother. Yeah. And when I um, when I first had children, I was really confident in where I was in, in the workplace and where I was in society. And then um, 
And then I, you know, I embraced being a mum and it was amazing. And I was at home for eight years and then I was just lost. You know, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to get back into the workforce, all these things that you've spoken of. So what the work you're doing is is truly so important. And I'm, you know, I come from a really privileged position where I had lots of support and a lot of encouragement. And for a huge number of people, that's not the case. So they've got extra, extra battles ahead of them. How do we find that empowerment? So I guess the work that I'm trying to do is on the one side, I've got, I'm going to call it a, double, a two-pronged attack, which sounds very military. Oh, gosh, that is really military. <laughs> but everything but, <laughs> about your life feeds into who you are, right? So Sorry. if that what's, what, what works for you? There's sort of – so on the one side, I want to work with organisations to help them with actually commercial outcomes. So, yeah. hey, workforce – oh, sorry, hey, leaders and organisations, you want to attract and retain great talent, we've got a skill shortage. I'm going to give you some ideas for how you could do that. You want to better engage your workforce and therefore um, make them perform better, I want to help you do that. You want to increase your representation of women, you want to increase your productivity, I want to help you to do that. So that's sort of how I um, I work with organisations. That's speaking is, to them in their language. In, yes. In sort of a way that they understand. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't kind of go in there and say, hey, parents are having it tough, that they're not going to care. Like, let's be real. To be blunt, yeah. So I go in there with why this is commercially valuable for them. It is a way for them to unlock this amazing workforce and get the best out of them. So that's kind of one side of it. The other side, I guess, more on the empowerment is I speak to a lot of parents and it is predominantly mums, but I'm very much about it's. This is not just mums, parents. Mm. We're all responsible for looking after our kids is actually giving them some different um, or sharing some insights so that they can be empowered to ask for better for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, the saying like, uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. So I talked about the, the categories of uh, working parents. There was the ones who kind of were working full time and missing their kids. There were the ones that couldn't make work work. And then there was a third group who I said were working less hours, less pay, but doing the same outputs. Now that group, it really frustrated me. It was almost, I feel like it's societal-wide gaslighting. These parents told me how lucky they were. Gosh, I'm so lucky that I'm allowed to work part-time. I'm so privileged that my organisation permits me to work less hours. And I became really like enraged. I was like, there is nothing lucky about getting a pay cut to do the same job. Mm. And so when I started kind of sharing these messages and having, it was kind of, I'm not saying that I've changed the world yet, but I'm really determined I'm going to keep pushing on this. But I see more and more people in the audience have these like, oh my gosh, the penny drop moments. Mm. Wow, that actually, yeah, I am getting paid less to do the same job and I think I'm lucky. Now that they can see it and can't unsee it, I'm getting stories now, I mean, not many, but I'm hope, hopeful it'll grow, where mums are coming up to me and saying, thank you for helping me to see this different. I now feel empowered to actually go to my employer and say, hey, I'm going to deliver these outputs for you. I want to be paid to do that. I'm going to do it in slightly different hours because that's what's going to work for my family. But you know what? I'm going to do a darn good job for you. I'm going to deliver what you want of me. So I want to be paid for that. And I think that's, um, that's sort of the, you know, when I talked about the two prong, I feel like that's the way to get people to feel more empowered to actually ask for better conditions for themselves. Mm. It's knowing your value, right? And sort of yes. st standing firm in that. Yeah. And when you talked about the vulnerability of being a parent, I mean, it's, it is, you know, especially, well, no, actually not especially anyone, right? We are humans. We are kind of good at what we do, whether it's work. And then you have, like, you know, I study hard. I 
do quite well in school and work. And then I have a kid yeah. and I'm <laughs> not a high performer anymore. You know, I'm struggling. My kids don't always listen to me. I'm, you know, vulnerable because they cry and I don't always know how to stop that. And it's just, it's hard. And then you start feeling like you're not as good anymore and you doubt yourself. And, you know, you used to be so kind of crack hot mm-hmm. in one field and then you're not necessarily doing that well then. And so this is so many parents having these feelings. And so that's why they like accept, oh, I guess I'm lucky to be allowed to work part-time and, you know, I'm really lucky that my employer lets me do this because they don't feel confident in themselves. And so I'm trying really hard. And again, I don't always practice it perfectly myself. I, I have my own confidence challenges, but it's around trying to help people to see their value and that being a working parent does not make them a burden for their organisation. It means they bring a whole lot of skill sets and actually that organisation is damn lucky to have them. So, And, and you know, staff well-being and um, well-being in the workplace is something that is obviously a focus for you right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like at the moment it's never been more important. We've had just the most mind-blowing couple of years globally. Um What do you think the landscape's like currently? So I'm an eternal optimist. So I think the landscape is actually exciting and that we've had this massive, you know, the pandemic obviously Mm. had a massive impact on the workplace. I think that gives us a really exciting opportunity to redefine how we do work. So I'm... The fearful side of me is that organisations will kind of just go back to how they were doing it. Um, But I'm, as I said, I'm going to focus on the opportunities, which is that it's proven that we can do things differently, that people can work from home, that we can work in different constructs, that, you know, being present at the office is not what actually equates with have you added value to the organisation. And so I think the landscape is ripe for opportunities and that... Yeah, that, that excites me. I think there's a a real place here for everyone to kind of stand up for themselves and think, you know what, this is what I'm worth. This is my value. This is how I can contribute to the organisation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a great job for you. And I'm also going to do the other stuff that's important to me, which could be children. It could be, you know, some other interest. Mm. But not thinking that, oh, to be, you know, professional, I have to pretend that all I do at work is my work and I, I'm not a whole person. It's mm. almost like we were, used to be expected to sort of leave our personal stuff at the door when we come into the workplace. Um, I don't I don't believe that for one second. We're well, whole not people. how humans operate. Yeah, we, we're <laughs> whole it's people. Impossible. Um, and, and I just want to make it clear as well that um, there are plenty of caregivers who choose to stay at home and that is what works for them yep. and their family and that they should also feel empowered in their decisions to do that. I, I love that you say that um, because what I believe is it's all about choice. So for me, I want to be in the workplace because I really enjoy it. I would not be a great mum if I was there 24-7. And this um, is, that's really important context, the idea of being free to choose yes. and not being penalised by your choice yes. is the key. Yeah. And like, so for people that choose to be with their kids the whole time, I think that's amazing if that is what, you know, gives them value and joy. That's brilliant. And, you know, certainly not should we judge them because they didn't go back to work. Uh, likewise, someone that works full-time and wants to do that, that's fine. It's just my message is about how do we give people more choice and more flexibility, and I'm trying to encourage organisations to see why that is actually going to make them more money mm. when their people have more choices. 
what I believe is that leaders need to create an environment where their staff can thrive and they need these three things. So belonging is not fitting in. Fitting in is where you have to kind of adjust yourself Mm. to be what you think is required of you in that environment. Belonging is when you actually are able to show up as your full self, your full, authentic, diverse, a little bit unique freak self and actually feel included and valued. Belonging. Autonomy is when people, I mean, people don't like to be micromanaged. So people like to have a degree of control over, you know, how they're going to conduct a task, over when and where and how they, you know, manage their own kind of time. And then purpose is people need to understand that what they do matters. So belonging, autonomy, purpose, the reason I've said this in relation to this question is I think that's the best way to empower people. Give them a sense of belonging, actually value them as they are, their whole unique, authentic self. Autonomy, let them have control because that empowers them. Mm -hmm. And then purpose, make sure they understand that what they do matters and why that fits in to the greater picture. And so on that authentic bit, I'm, I think, and I, I do sort of authentic leadership workshops, and I say to people, your biggest superpower is you. Like the best version you can ever be of yourself is when you are yourself. And what I've also learned over time is the more that I am just me, and I'm a lot, like I'm, I'm high energy, I'm a bit all over the place sometimes, I've... I'm passionate. I'm emotional. I cry. I get angry and I swear. I'm I make ridiculous rap videos. I'm I'm a lot. <laughs> and I often thought that I had to contain that. Yeah. And the more that I've realized if I just be me, my gosh, I do my best work. Yeah. And so that's what I would encourage other people to do is the more you just lean in. You want to go to the museum, Toby? Yeah, we're going to go there in a minute and see the dinosaurs. So um yeah, it's just the more people can be themselves, the the better they'll be and the happier they'll be and the more they'll achieve in life. I so love that you've distilled this down into belonging and autonomy purpose because it's really easy to remember and it's a really easy thing to remind ourselves of um, as leaders but also as employees to know what we should expect in, you know, in a, in a workspace. That we should be expect, expect to be able to be, belong, to have autonomy and purpose and if we're not getting there, look at why and challenge it. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Um <laughs> In case you all missed it, it's Dr. Ellen Nelson because Ellen's done uh, a thesis, a PhD. Um, We don't have time to talk about it, but I just want (laughs) to let you know she's extremely qualified, not just from lived experience, but also from having very thoroughly researched all of this. So everything that you've heard here today comes from a place of real wisdom and knowledge and experience. Um, So... This is you, you. You'd pay good money to get the kind of advice and wisdom that we've that you have all received for free today. Thank you so much for your time. I want to ask you one last question. Yes. Also, I want to thank you, Toby and Monty, wherever you are, for doing such a great job. <laughs> if you were to look back, say, at a key moment in your life, perhaps before you joined the military, or when you had when you had babe in arms and you're about to embark on trying to help these refugees, what would you tell yourself? with what you know now, to, inst- to to sort of steal yourself for what's ahead, but also to encourage and empower yourself for what's ahead? You know what? I'd look back and say, you got this. Ellen, you can do this. This is going to be really hard, but you can do hard. And yeah, back yourself, you've got this. And I was so lucky to have found an amazing team that made me feel 
belonging, autonomy and purpose. And yeah, I will be forever grateful for them. So that's what I'd look back. Alan, you got this. You can do it. You have got this. And we're so grateful for you and all the work you have done and the work that you continue to do. I really thoroughly enjoyed our corridor today. Thank you so much for coming in, Dr. Alan Nelson. This is Empowerment. This is Kiwi. And that was Dr. Alan Nelson. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me and for having my, my two little boys as well. Loved having them. Loved it. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.